Hey everyone, welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. This is the podcast where we recap the fiction story of Magic the Gathering and add in our own flavor text. We're currently in season four, which follows the story of March of the Machine. Today, we're talking about episode six of the main story titled The Last to Leave by Kay Arsenal Rivera. Join us as we head into the multiverse. Elspeth? Last we saw of her, she had taken the Silex that Jace was about to detonate and had planeswalked away with it. That was the end of last season, and Elspeth has been missing ever since. Yeah, I had kind of assumed the worst, honestly. We are going to find out where she is and what she's been up to. In a couple of episodes already in season four, we've been seeing these nameless watchers observing what our characters are doing. Once in episode two, when Chandra and Ren decided to go back to New Phyrexia, and again in episode four, after Atraxa had obliterated the angel statues on New Capenna. Keep those watchers in mind while we go through this episode, because I bet a lot of it will start to make sense. So to briefly recap some of our events leading up to this episode, in last episode, we had seen Chandra and Ren and Seven return to New Phyrexia. And they had actually made it to the seed core and the invasion tree. Their plan was that Ren was going to attach herself to Realmbreaker and control it and use it against the Phyrexians. But unfortunately, Nyssa, who was Phyrexianized, stopped them. And there was a collision between Chandra and Nyssa. And we had left off at a pretty massive cliffhanger last episode with that. And then before that, we had seen the invasion of Phyrexia go to our plains of Kamigawa, and the city of Tawashi had been completely destroyed in that episode. We had seen it reach realms such as Kaldheim and Kaladesh and Nukapenna that Harless had just mentioned. So the multiverse is at war, full at war with Elish Norn's Phyrexia. And we are going to now understand what Elspeth has been up to this whole time. When episode six starts, which is the episode we're focusing on today, we're not really given insight into who our narrator is at first. It's just an ambiguous she, as she defends a village and a small girl with glowing eyes against attacking Phyrexians. We don't know where this village is or who the girl is or even who its defender is until a few paragraphs in. Eventually, it's revealed to us that this is Elspeth, and she's in this kind of dreamlike vision state. Someone calls out to her and says, it's time to wake up Elspeth. And she, along with us, the reader, realized that the little girl she defended earlier was herself, a young Elspeth, trapped on Mirrodin and imprisoned by Phyrexians. And adult, current Elspeth, had gone in to save herself in this vision. She says, keeping people safe is what I do to the little girl. There's a bit of confusion for both us and Elspeth as she tries to figure out who had called out to her. She looks at this angelic figure and it looks much like herself. And Elspeth wonders if it's her mother. There are definitely some similarities there. The world of the vision dreamlike state kind of melts away and is instead replaced by this in-between realms state that doesn't quite make her solid. She's almost like a ghost wandering through the multiverse. And this angelic figure who looks sort of like Elspeth's mother says, you have a choice to make. 
And at first, Elspeth doesn't understand. And then the voice asks again, do you remember what you're becoming? And this is from the story. A young girl shadow, a face amidst the shimmering, beaming at her. Elspeth looks down at her own hands. They, too, are opalescent in the light of this place. A curious sensation prickles along her shoulder blades. A glittering feather falls from nowhere to float before her. Just so, says her mother. You've done so well to get here. But there's one last step to take. You first must leave your old self behind. So Elspeth asks her mother, this sort of angelic figure, if she had brought her here, wherever here is in this kind of non-place that they're in. But the angel says Elspeth came here from her own volition. And that's when Elspeth begins to remember. She remembers her friends on New Phyrexia, Jace, Vraska, Nahiri, Nyssa, Ajani, and the Silex. She wonders if she's dead, that perhaps she's in some different underworld now. And remember, Elspeth has been banished and proclaimed dead to an underworld before, and she managed to escape it. And if you want to understand more about that story, you can go back and read the story from Theros Beyond Death, which gives you a lot of insight into what got Elspeth where she is now. And so finally, Elspeth turns to this angel slash her mother and asks the critical question, what do I have to do? This mother figure takes her to a place. And by takes her, I mean the place literally just appears before them. Like imagine that you're in a room and you don't move, but the room keeps changing and you're in all these new places. But it's like you're saying the same. It's like the places are coming to you almost. And Elspeth recognizes this new place as New Capenna. You must make one more choice, the angel goes on, and you have little time to make it. Your mortal wants and desires must not enter into the equation. And when Elspeth asks again for some clarity, like what choice does she need to make here? The answer is that the world is in flames and that Elspeth needs to see it all and choose where to intervene. Elspeth starts to remember more about Phyrexia and the invasion. And when she does, she witnesses the initial invasion of New Capenna as the skies go red and the portals the Realmbreaker creates open on the plane, pouring in tons of Phyrexians. And I'll quote for you here from the story. A massive white structure pierces through the clouds. The structure, something like the tendril of a god, wraps around the city. Windows shadow, monuments tumble, girders snap. Cracks run up the side of the tower. Oil spills from the tendril, coating the surface in glistening black. Pods like carrion insects descend on the city. But Nukapena isn't dead. Not yet. It can't be. The whole city is fortified against attack. She learned that herself. Elspeth wants to see more. Soon she's surrounded by fire and rubble. The blood is ankle deep on the streets of Nukapena. It takes her a moment to realize the piles of leather along the curbs are the shucked skins of two slow citizens. There are more Phyrexians around her than there are people. And worse, floating above them all is something that was once an angel. All right, so before we get into this angel figure that is floating, oh my lord. Yeah. Blood is ankle deep on the streets of Nukapenna. And just while I was reading this, because like this scene is being brought to her, I just imagined like, the blood like washing over her boots yeah right? and like just a nightmare ankles. yeah yeah and then the let's just let's just say that again the leather along the curbs are actually the shucked skins of two slow citizens 
this angel is not here to play nice. Yeah. So the Phyrexians are literally working within seconds. So they are taking people so quickly that suddenly there are more Phyrexians around her than there are people. It's just, it must be an overwhelming moment for Elspeth. I mean, this is her home plane. This once angel that's floating above them, by the way, is Atraxa. Now, we'd seen her wreak havoc on Nuka Pena in episode four this season. Remember, she goes in and just absolutely destroys their museum. She's enraged that they would have all the Phyrexian artifacts at the back of the museum or have them at all. And again, that's what Ellis Nord had set her for in the first place was those um, artifacts. But now we see it from Elspeth's perspective. Elspeth isn't really here, though. Like we said before, she's kind of like a ghost. She's ethereal. She can't interact with anyone or anything solid form in Nukapena, even when she tries to reach out to save a man from Phyrexians, she can't. Threats like a flying quill just pass straight through her body. And the horrors of Atrax's crimes on Nukapena unfold before her. Elspeth witnesses the fall of the Maestros and the Riveteers, who are another family faction on Nukapena, fight back desperately from the skyscrapers. The casualties and brutality of Elspeth's home plane is so difficult for her to see. Her mother, this angel form sort of guiding her, continues to narrate to Elspeth what's going on. They call her Atraxa, she says. The voice is different now, yet not unknown. It isn't a convincing mimicry, but there is some warmth in Elspeth's heart at the sound, nonetheless. An angel corrupted by the hands of four praetors, one of their most fanatical generals. And this angel goes on to say that Atraxa's orders were to eradicate Nukapena. Literally, no survivors. The whole plane is to be razed to the ground and every one of its people destroyed or Phyrexianized. And the angel reminds her that Elspeth has to choose where to help. And the mother angel figure speaks. She says, This place used to be home. I never imagined it'd grow to the size, of course, but it was home all the same. The Kapenan people welcomed us with open arms. Decades later, they welcomed you again. Now, obviously, Elspeth wants to help New Kapenna, desperately. She wants to take out Atraxa and save her people. They are vastly outnumbered. And it's just so clear that many aren't going to survive. Perhaps none of them will. If Elspeth were to help them, maybe it could turn the tide, save the plane. Even her mother says that she could save New Kapenna with her own two hands and build something new. But then Elspeth sees the Riveteers fighting and is reminded this war is spread across the entire multiverse. And this is about more than just one plane. And so she tells the angel figure, this isn't the place. And so her mother takes her onward. They travel through planes, kind of almost like a jerky form of planeswalking almost. They were, and through this, they're given the briefest glimpses of Strixhaven, where students are fleeing from their Phyrexianized professors. And we see just briefly Liliana commanding a horde of zombies at her control before she jerks to a stop between a red sky and a red sea. Overhead, the fine fabric of stars ripples. The air tastes of salt. It's Theros. Theros. And a voice calls out to Elspeth as soon as she arrives. She recognizes it as Daxos. And so this is the first time that we're introduced to Daxos or even talking about him on the podcast. So for a really brief, quick summary, um, in short, Daxos is Elspeth's lover, and they had met on Theros once upon a time. They both serve the temple of Heliod, the god, 
And Daxos is pretty distinguishable kind of in art and our recent sets due to his golden mask. And it's in a caricature of grief. And this was symbolic of his endless wandering through Theros in search of his beloved, who is Elspeth. And the long story short of their story is that Elspeth was in the underworld and in order to escape, she couldn't go back. And so, and, and Daxos was stuck in Theros, kind of wandering almost between this underworld, but also not. It's a pretty complicated story, but like Carla said, you can read more into it at, in the story for Theros Beyond Death. And it is Daxos who can see and interact with Elspeth in her ethereal form, since they are, by these crazy turns of events, kind of in the same wandering state. And he shows her what's become of Theros. Now... A Johnny is here and he is converting the gods into the way of Phyrexia, killing anyone who quote unquote sows dissent. Some of the Theros gods have willingly embraced Phyrexia and those who remain to resist have no choice now but to join. The gods have turned Phyrexian? Oh no. That was my thought exactly reading this and Elspeth thinks this too. She's appalled and heartbroken seeing a Johnny just not be a Johnny and Again, she's so tempted to intervene here. She could save a Johnny from himself, free him from the Phyrexian influence, stop him from trying to convince the rest of the gods to join Norn's unity. There is resistance on Theros too. It's Heliod and their followers. They even visibly resist. So there's like this scene where a Johnny is trying to actively convince the people of Theros and the gods to kind of almost bend the knee and join Phyrexia. And during this... They visibly resist this Phyrexian conversion happening upon his, like when Ajani is doing his speech upon his altar and they halt his kind of manifesto almost with an arrow through him. And by the way, this doesn't really stop him. I mean, he's Phyrexian. It just only makes him crueler and more aggressive and, and meaner. And Elspeth, Elspeth's thinking that this resistance, they could win. Heliod could win with Elspeth's help. And again, Daxos and her mother says that she could if she chose to. She could save a Johnny right here, right now, if she chose it. And she could be with Daxos again if she chose Theros. You're the bravest woman I've ever known. This is Daxos speaking. And you've always tried to do the right thing. If I were to trust anyone with saving Theros, it would be you. She turns away again. Her thoughts race. If she chooses Theros, she must fight Ajani. If she fights him, there's likely no way to save him anymore. Once the corruption's taken root like this, there's little to be done. Yes, she's killed gods. Yes, she's loved this place, called it home. But because there's resistance here, and because not all the gods are going to bend the knee to Phyrexia, Elspeth hesitates. Also, she remembers that as much as she misses Daxos and as much as she cares about Ajani, ultimately this isn't about her own personal wants. This choice she makes means more than the fate of just one person, which is such a difficult sacrifice to confront. Go Elspeth being strong and brave in this moment. She could easily give in and do what, take the easy route. But Elspeth is just so, like you said, so strong and so brave. I was, I was just cheering for Elspeth in this moment. So Elspeth chooses not to help Theros as much as she wants to. And instead, she leaves Theros. She traverses once again in this ethereal form through planes. 
And during this, we briefly see a castle that's reduced to rubble, which might come into play later. And a towering neon city. We had seen Tawashi earlier on. And so Elspeth gets a quick vision of that before she lands in the very place she never wanted to return to, New Phyrexia. The invasion tree stands as proud testament to the unending triumphs of Elish Norn. Red pulses from beneath its clean white plates as it reaches for the heavens, and indeed pierces them. An undulating army packs one of the bridges before it, their banner and their forms, strangely curved, rifle with tubes and bats, mark them as Gengataxius's creations. There must be thousands of them. How many are newly formed? How many come from the places she'd just seen? The choice is still before her. Elspeth watches as Elishnorn disassembles Urabrask. Oh, this scene? This scene was brutal. Imag- I mean, I love Nuka Penna. Nuka Penna is beautiful. It's, like we mentioned before, it's this kind of art deco There's like gold inspired everywhere. Plain, gold gilded. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. And just seeing it reduced to what it was and seeing the riveteers like climbing skyscrapers and people running away and people being taken down. I mean, this choice, this choice is not an easy one to make. I mean, I personally don't think I could have made it past the the first plane. Yeah, same. And this just goes to show that they like whoever chose this, this angel form guiding her chose Elspeth for a reason because I think they knew deep down that Elspeth was going to make the right choice. But at this point reading it, I was like, what is the right choice? Because we have just seen so much brutality and gosh, what could be, what could be more important? But obviously Elspeth, Elspeth knows something. Yeah. Anyway, back to the scene with Urabrask. Elish Norn has Urabrask on a table and she just renders him into pieces to serve Phyrexia. It is brutal. But what's worse Norn snaps her fingers and summons a disassembled Karn to bear witness to what she does next. Odd Karn? We had just talked about him. All right, so Norn praises Nyssa for returning a captured Ren and Chandra to her. The wake of the scene we had just seen in the last episode. So now we are caught up with Chandra and Ren and Nyssa and Elish Norn. Yeah, so Koth and the rest of the Mirren resistance is here too. They are all caught by Phyrexians, all at their mercy. And some of them are being unwillingly modified. I'm just going to say that. It was incredibly brutal to read that passage, to be fully honest. So I'm just going to gloss over it for now. But you can kind of imagine what that must be like to be unwillingly modified and still alive. It's just downright, it, it is just a downright horrifying scene that sees all of our heroes at their lowest point. And Elish Norn, meanwhile, is just gloating in her victory. She commands Jinkataxius, a praetor, to do what he does best to all these prisoners. Ren, Chandra, Koth, the Mirans, all of them are about to be subjected to Jinkataxius's claws. Okay, so Jinkataxius. I'm going to paint a picture for you all so that you can visualize along with this about who Jinkataxius is, what he looks like, and why he's so terrifying. So I'm just going to state this outright. I think Jinkataxius is by far the most terrifying praetor. And I think not just visually, I think his cruelty is particularly bone-chilling. But his how he looks, too, is also very 
terrifying. Jin Cataxius is a blue aligned, so that's blue mana aligned Praetor. And blue, just as kind of a top line, blue mana is all about knowledge and kind of cunning and outwitting your opponent. And so to put blue associated with a Phyrexianized Praetor just creates this callous, calculative, scientific, like like mad scientist almost out of a Praetor. So you can imagine how terrifying that would be. And Jin Cataxius is actually the one who perfected the glistening oil. He was actually the one to perfect that in order to be able to turn planeswalkers into Phyrexians. So it, it all kind of boils back to him and his first experiment was on Tamio. <laughs> Tamio. And, and so, yeah. Yeah. So, so to kind of, you know, bring this full circle, we now have this Praetor, this giant, terrifying Praetor who's, who Elish Norn has said, go do your thing, Jin Cataxius, on these, on these planeswalkers. I can't imagine how terrifying that must be for everyone trapped right now and, and seeing this Praetor come towards them. Yeah, I mean, we know what's about to happen at this point, right? This isn't just Phyrexianization. Jenny Gataxius has a scientific, cold-hearted approach to his experiments. And Elspeth knows that she has to act. She's witnessing this all happen. This is her choice. But how? Something about Ren and Nyssa is calling out to her, especially Nyssa. But Elspeth takes a moment to ask, what is it about Nyssa that she needs to figure out? And then as her angel mother figure, it begins to kind of talk through the scenario of what was unfolding. The idea clicks in Elspeth's mind. Ren was trying to get to the invasion tree and Nyssa stopped them. So Elspeth suddenly knows what she has to do. She has to distract Nyssa long enough for Ren to get to the tree. And so Elspeth decides. Fear is always the last thing to leave, the woman says. You've slain it time and time again. Do not falter now, Elspeth. It is the last thing she hears before Sarah fades away. So this was Sarah. This was Sarah the whole Sarah time. Angel. The Sarah Angel. <laughs> so yeah, so this is the first time on the podcast we're seeing Sarah Angel. Um, she's a pretty prominent character in Magic, but it was kind of cool to know that Sarah was kind of this, this voice guiding her. Sarah is a pretty awesome angel. I'm just going to put it that way. What an odd sensation it is to be reborn to feel yourself being stripped away and changed. The wings on her back are heavy as plate metal, yet she cannot remember a time she was ever without them. This body of hers is different, and yet it is as it always has been. She is Elspeth, and she is not. There is no more room for indecision. The multiverse hangs in the balance. Okay, can I just pause here and highlight something that you just read, Harless? The wings on her back are heavy as plate metal. Oh. Um, she has wings. What? That is so cool. So does this mean Elspeth has been reborn as an angel? Oh. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like it. Like I, when I read this, I just had like gasp written in the margins. Just like, is <gasps> <laughs> like, cause it sounds like she has been reborn at this point and she has wings and she's been talking with Sarah, the angel. I mean, it all kind of makes sense. And this kind of all harkens back to Elspeth's origin story, where she discovered that she's from New Capenna, but had no idea her true origins, and that she had this weird, like, she 
she mysteriously was immune to Phyrexianization. She mysteriously had this connection to Halo. She, like, everything kind of stems back to, like, this all makes sense. This all makes sense at this point. And this has been, like, all of the things coming together for this moment. So, anyway. So, right as Gengataxius raises his claws, Elspeth's sword is there to meet him. And that's how our episode ends. So I, another cliffhanger, another cliffhanger. <laughs> it's just like so much is happening, but we finally kind of got cut up, which is something that I appreciated about this episode is that we kind of saw the events through Elspeth's eyes. And then we all caught up behind like what happened last episode and kind of moved forward. So like Elspeth intervened and she's an angel, like question mark, maybe, which is really, really cool. I, yeah, it's so cool. And also, we got answers to who that mysterious figure was because yeah. a lot of the places that Elspeth popped into while she was going through that little journey through different planes and events. Yeah. Those watchers. We got to see. Yeah. yeah. The watchers were Sarah and Elspeth, like kind of watching this from their ethereal state over like kind of witnessing it from from wherever they were. It's just it kind of all connected. It was just a really cool episode and that things started to kind of seem like so together. And it was it was like it gave me it gave me goosebumps or I love when things start to come together like that. To me, one of the biggest things about this episode that stands out is that Elspeth had to essentially sacrifice a Johnny for this. Sacrifice Daxos. Like Daxos. um, But the one with a Johnny really stuck out to me because... Remember earlier she had had, I don't remember what episode it was in specifically, but she had had this moment where she was blaming herself for a Johnny becoming Phyrexianized. And here we see her realize not only is no, that wasn't my fault, but also like, I don't get to choose to save this person. Whatever feelings I have about it are not as important as saving the multiverse. And that's what makes Elspeth a true hero and potentially a true angel. That's so cool. Yeah, there was so much there was so much growth in Elspeth's character in this episode. Absolutely. So this episode is actually number six out of ten main stories, and there are a bunch of side stories as well. So we still have a ton to cover in this season. As always, you can read this story and so much more at mtgstory.com. Stick with us as we begin to see these events begin to climb in stakes and excitement. We hoped you liked this episode as much as we did. If you did, we would super appreciate you giving us a quick review. It just helps us out a ton. Thanks so much for tuning in with us, and we'll see you next time. Have Have a magical magical day. day!